How many of you less than one hour of sleep? Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. All right. Hey, well, I hope that this morning you're not mostly dead, but you are alive, awake, here, ready to listen to uh, the message. And so why don't you open your Bibles? I want you to start by opening your Bibles and open them to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. That little clip that we all just saw, how many know what movie that is? Shout it out. Wow. Hey, so you just told me that your parents are good parents because, uh, because they have introduced you to The Princess Bride, one of the great movies of all time, uh, way before, made and, and produced way before your generation, but hey, you have good parents because they, they showed you that movie. You had Miracle Max there, and he says something pretty interesting. He said there's a difference between mostly dead and all dead. Right? Mostly dead, well, there's a chance that they could still be alive. But if they're all dead, what are they good for? Loose change. Looking through their pockets for loose change. The title of my message this morning is Dead. Dead. So why don't you write that at the top of your page? Last message, I showed you the height of God's power. We got a glimpse into heaven and we saw Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, seated at the right hand of the Father over all power and authority on earth. Today, we make a transition and we see a contrast. If Christ is up there, where are we? Who are we? Well, this little section in Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. And I just want to warn you, it's a heavy message. It is a grim reality. The condition that we are all in apart from God is morbid. What we're going to see in this passage is a horrific descent, a decline, a spiral down to the bottom of the pit. The reality is, is that you and I, all of us, without Christ, are there. So I really want you to listen. I really want you to pay attention. This could be where you are. Two realities that are true. This, is, could, this could be where you are or where you were. Where you are now or where you were. So let's look at the passage. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3. And you were dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let me pray. Father of glory, I ask that you would open the eyes of the students in this room. That you would show them what it's like, where they are, 
if they are separate from you, if they're dead. I pray that that reality would weigh heavy on their hearts, that by your Spirit you convict them of their sins, and that they would wake up to the morbidity of their condition. Lord, this is where either we were or where we are in relationship with you. So I ask that we would just, God, you would work in the hearts of these students to wake them up to this condition. God, remind us all, even the believers, of who we were apart from you. And we need to realize that before we can see our need for a Savior. So I ask that you would do that work, only the work that you can do through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Point number one. The condition, dead. It says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. What does it mean to be dead? Well, contrary to what Miracle Max says, there is no such thing as mostly dead. Death is a final, an ultimate reality. You either either close to death, Coming to death. But once you're dead, you're what? You're dead. Death is absolute. It is final. It's a sad and grim reality. And even in our human nature, we sense this. We understand the finality of death. We understand what death means. And I don't know if some of you lost a close loved one uh, over the past few years. If that's true, I'm really sorry for you. And and I'm sorry for your loss. And I know dealing with death is difficult. I want you to think about what you know about death. What is death? What does it mean to be dead? It's interesting. I was talking to a friend on the phone just after his dad had passed. And he was telling me that it was just so strange. His family was in the room when his father passed. And in one second he's alive and he's there, and the next second he's dead and gone. And the family turns and gives each other a hug and they say, Dad is gone. Isn't that a strange statement? Think about the fact that Dad is still laying right there. But they knew, and we all know, that once someone is dead, they're not there anymore, they're gone. It is a separation. To be dead is to be without life, to be unable, to have no power. As much as you can look at that dead body and say, wake up, come back. They're not coming back. Death is final. We understand this. We just have this built into our human nature. We know the morbidity of death. When you're dead, you're you're separate from life. When you're dead, there's loss and there's an absence of life. When someone's dead, they're powerless. They're unable to wake themselves back up. And Paul says, you were dead. You were dead. You say, Morgan, I very much feel alive. I'm here, aren't I? Well, physically, you're alive. Paul is talking about a spiritual Reality. These aren't zombies, okay, walking around mostly dead, half dead. He's talking about a spiritual reality, not a physical one. 
We are spiritually dead. So think about the implications of that. What we just said about death. It's a separation of life. It's, a, it's an absence of power. It's to be unable. Absolutely powerless. And think about what that means spiritually. If you are spiritually dead, then you are separate from God. If you're spiritually dead, you're separate from true life. If you're spiritually dead, you are powerless. You're unable to save yourself. You can't wake yourself up. You can't even respond in your own power. That's what it means to be dead. This is a morbid condition. Definitely sets the mood for melancholy. It's like, oh, death. It's a sad reality. What's the cause of death? What is the cause of death? Look down at the passage. Look at the verse. The verse will tell you. You were dead in trespasses and sins. In the Greek you see your. Your trespasses and sins. So what's your cause of death? It's your own sin. Your own trespasses. It's spiritual suicide. You are killing yourself. That's why you're dead. It's your own fault. The Bible says it another way. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. So just like a job earns you a paycheck, just like good grades may earn you a scholarship, just like you know, winning games in the tournament earns you the title, champion, you know what your sin earns you? A death certificate. Spiritual suicide. This is the reality, by the way, not just for those people over there, but for everybody in this room. You know what else the Bible says? Romans 3.23, all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, student, under, listen to me when I tell you this. I'm not lying. This isn't my opinion. This is what the scriptures said. That if you have sinned, you're dead. You're dead. Without God. Without life. Unable. Absolutely powerless. Blind in your trespasses and sins. You can't do anything. This is a horrible condition. This is a pandemic worse than COVID. 100% transmissible. Everybody has it. You can't get rid of it yourself. If you've sinned, and we all have, you're dead. That is the condition. The condition is bad, but... If you look at the world that the sinner lives in, it gets worse. Point number two, the cosmos. The cosmos, the world, it's Satan's world that the sinner lives in. Look at verse two. You were, well, first, verse one, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who is the prince of the power of the air? Who is the spirit that is working in the sons of disobedience? 
Second Corinthians chapter four says in another way, they call, it calls him the God of this world. It is Satan. Satan is the tyrant that rules the world of the sinner. Now, who is Satan? Who is Satan? You may have a cartoon image in your head, you know, the red man with the horns and the, the pitchfork and the tail. Who is Satan? Let's do a, a brief bio. He's a fallen angel. He was created by God for his glory, but Satan determined in his heart that he wanted to be like God and get glory for himself. And so God cast him out of heaven. And he landed here on earth. And he was there in the beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden. He was deceiving Eve into eating the forbidden fruit. And he has since set himself in direct opposition against God. His desire is to ruin God's plan. And to ruin your life. If he is going to eternal destruction, which he is... God says He will finally cast him into the lake of fire on the last day. He's going to try to take as many of you with Him as He can. What does Satan do? What are the kinds of things that he does? If we were to watch his activity, what would we see him doing? If, if we were able to you know, follow him on Instagram, if we were able to see his TikTok, what are the kind of things... That we might see him doing. First Peter 5.8 says that he prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. John 8.44 says he's a murderer. He's a liar. And the father of lies. Second Corinthians 4 says he is blinding the minds of unbelievers. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Acts 13 says he will not stop making crooked. The straight paths of the Lord. Murdering, devouring, lying, deceiving, and manipulating. You gotta understand, Satan is real. He is alive. He is a cruel master of a cruel world. He's a tyrant. He wants to keep you dead and enslaved in his world if he had it his way. And he lies about it. He doesn't want what's best for your life, even though He promises it. He doesn't want you to be happy, even though He says He does. He doesn't want you to think He's dangerous. He would love for you, student, to think He's funny. To think He's just the butt of a good joke. Or to think that, man, one day He would be a good tattoo. Satan is real. He's a tyrant. He's serious. He's doing everything he can to keep students like you in this world. And he does so with a variety of vices. Not the least of which is the device that you have in your pocket. Social media. Your smartphone. Through which all his temptations, all those fleshly desires hit you every day, student. And he's got you. Because you're enslaved to that little thing. He has you hooked to you. You keep eating his bait. And all the while, he keeps you walking in darkness, distracted in sin, separate from God's 
love. This is a bad condition, a bad cosmos, and it gets worse. Look at what the sinner does. The conduct. The conduct. Point number three. Fleshly passions. Look at verse three. Among whom we all once lived... Paul reminds us here that this applies to all of us. This is either who we were or who you are. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. This is a picture of someone who has lost control to their desires. Like the dog who sees the squirrel run, run by, he can't help himself but chase it. It's like the little kid who puts his hand in the cookie jar. He can't help himself but to grab what he wants. This is who you are, sinner. You're led by your fleshly passions. You've lost control to your sinful desires. You say, Morgan, I've got a little more self-control than that. I'm not... A dog. I'm not a little kid anymore. I've got my desires under control. Oh, do you? These two words here for passion and desires, it includes any kind of lust or craving. It includes any wish or will. Anything you want. What do you want? And what do you do to get what you want? When you were a little kid, what did you do when you wanted something? You go over there and you take it. That kid has a toy that I want. So what do you do? You walk over, that's mine. And then you walk out, right? That's what you did as a kid. You're like, I'm not a kid anymore. That's right, you've gotten better at getting what you want without looking foolish. You're just a little more manipulative with it. You hide it a little bit better. You do what's publicly, socially correct. But you and I both know that you go after what you want. And you try your very best to get it. You know. Listen to me, student. You know what kind of fleshly passions that you're enslaved to. You know them. When I say fleshly desires, sinful desires, that sin comes to your mind immediately. Your conscience bears witness. You know that it's wrong. But you also know this is what I live for. This is what I want so badly. And this gives me what I want. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's people pleasing. Maybe it's idolatry. There's a sport. Video games. Relationships. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's covetousness. It's, it's wanting what other people have. And so you follow them on Instagram. You just think, oh man, I wish I looked like her. Or I wish I had what he had. I wish I had as much fun as that guy that I watch on YouTube. Even those of you who are the goody two-shoes. You're a good kid. You do a lot of good Things and you do those things for the recognition, for the recognition and praise that you get from others. When somebody says, Wow, you're really smart. Or wow, you're such a good kid. Wow, what a great future you have 
ahead of you. Your ego has just been coaxed and you got another hit of your drug. Self-glory. You get what you want. You're just a little bit better at hiding it. And I want you to know, student, and you know this too, it's not making you happy. It's not giving you what you want, is it? It's leaving you feeling more empty, more wanting, more hungry. The Psalms say the young lions lack and suffer hunger. Young lions, they eat, they eat, they eat, and they want more. That's who we all are without God. We're led by our sinful passions, our sinful desires. We're slaves to them. It reminds me of Pleasure Island in the movie Pinocchio. Have you seen Pinocchio? I think I have a picture up here. Pleasure Island. You have the coachman, which is that figure there. Uh, He's the satanic figure of the illustration. And he lures children to Pleasure Island. He offers them everything their little fleshly hearts desire. Thrills, tobacco, freedom, or so they think. Of course, they soon realize that these pleasures are unfulfilling. More than that, they realize they're not free at all. They're actually slaves. Slaves to the cruel coachman whose desire is not to make them happy even though he promised it. He turns them into donkeys and he sells them into further bondage and slavery. What a great illustration of who the sinner is, where he is, and what he lives for. They think they're alive, yet they're dead. You think your life's all good. You're good, but you're not. You think you're free, but you're a slave. You think you've found happiness, yet you're unsatisfied. They think their destiny is bliss, that they're headed to more happiness and satisfaction. But in fact, their destiny, point number four, the conclusion is wrath. This is the destiny of the sinner. Look at verse 3, the very end there. You were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Just like little boys ultimately destined to donkey slavery, like little lambs ultimately led to a slaughter, the conclusion, the end of the path, sinner, is wrath. That is God's justified judgment for your sin. The punishment you deserve, you get eternally. Notice, if you look at the verse, you were DOA. You guys know what DOA DOA means? Emergency responders? Dead on arrival. By nature, children of wrath. You were born with a sin nature. Romans 5 says, Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, our father, ultimate father, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. This sin infection, this virus has spread to all mankind. Therefore, all mankind without Christ is under the wrath of God. You ever thought about the reality that you're under the wrath of God? 
What does that imply? What does that mean? Think about it. You sin. You know you're a sinner. Therefore, sin earns death. And after death comes what? Judgment. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, you're under wrath. What does that look like? John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Without a Savior, you are totally separate from God. You're separate from a loving relationship with Him. But understand, student, you're not separate from a binding relationship with His wrath. He does not let the guilty go unpunished. If you don't have a Savior, you're guilty, and the result, the end, is judgment. Psalm 711 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation, hatred, anger every day. And you know what his hatred is toward? Sin in the sinner. Matthew 10.28 says, Don't fear those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. If somebody were to kill you, God forbid. But if someone were to kill you, that's not the worst that could happen to you. The worst that could happen to you is being dead separate from God. Because the future is eternal wrath. Romans 2.5 says, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The Scriptures warn us that the wrath of God is being stored up like a, like a damned reservoir. A massive body of water, immeasurable, stored up and blocked by a dam, and God's hand is on the floodgates. And he has every right, when you die, if you're without a Savior, to withhold His hand and let that wrath Flow and devour you. You've got to understand that not the strongest, strongest or ablest men can withstand the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. You can't withstand it. Deuteronomy 32 says, Vengeance is mine, God says. Romans 12, 19, I will repay, says the Lord. Have you ever sat in the reality of that? Have you thought deeply about that? And does that worry you at all? Does that concern you? Or again, are, are you worried about lesser things like what grade you might get on the next test? Or how many likes you got on that Instagram post? Or, or whether you know people will accept you or not? Or, or whether you're going to grow to be as big and as strong as your dad, or whatever. If you're a sinner, this ought to be your primary concern. And if you don't take this seriously, it doesn't make the reality void. It's real. This is you without a Savior. 
if you care or you don't. What the Bible says, and this is God's Word, and this is what He says to us. John Edwards illustrates it this way in his infamous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He says, The bow of God's wrath is bent, the arrow made ready on the string. Justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow. And it's nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation to you at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk in your blood. Oh man, I I hope that God is working on your heart right now. If this is who you are, I hope that that scares you. It should. And by the way, you're not an innocent victim. God's wrath is deserved. We are all sinners, trespassers, criminals, rebels. This is the bed we made without Christ. These are the consequences of our sin. The curtain has been lifted on the sinner. And we're exposed for who we really are without Christ. We're dead. We're slaves. We're unhappy. We're sons of disobedience. And we're children of wrath. This is a deep, deep, dark, and gloomy pit that we have all, or we are all, sitting at the bottom of. Has that reality shaken you? The key to understanding this passage is seeing the tense of the verb. You were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. We all once lived. We were, by nature, children of wrath. What's the tense of the verb? Come on, you guys are in junior high, high school. It's past. Past tense, right? Paul is writing this letter to believers. That's why. They were dead. That's an old condition. They were living in the world ruled by Satan. That's an old cosmos. They were living according to the passions of their flesh, but now they have new desires. Those were, that was the old conduct, the old way of life. They were children of wrath, but they are no longer. That's the old destiny for these believers. And by God's grace for some of you, some of you, this is past tense. You're reading this and you're, you're just overwhelmed with joy. Thank you, God, for saving me from this. You know that you're a sinner and you've gone to the Savior for forgiveness of sins, to clear your debt and to hand you the righteousness. The only thing that will get you into heaven is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know that. And so you, you read these passages and you're like, oh, thank you, God. Praise you, God, that I'm no longer like this. And I would just say to you, student, if you truly are a Christian, don't go back to these things. Don't go back to the old way of life. Don't live like the world anymore. You're not of it. Don't live enslaved to sin. You're you're unbound from those shackles. You're loosened from those chains. You don't have to go back. And so continue, Christian, to turn from sin and live in light of the new world, the new creation that you are in Christ. But for some of you in this room, nay, probably a lot of you in this room, 
This is not who you were. This is who you are. I'd like us, for the sake of really feeling this, to change the first person plural to first person singular, the we to I, and I want to change the past tense to present tense. I put it up on the screen. And as I read this out loud, I want you to read this to yourself. This is who you are without Christ. And I am dead in my trespasses and sins, in which I am walking, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom I am living in the passions of my flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And I am, by nature, a child of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Is this who you are? Or is this who you were? If this is who you are, what do you do with yourself? What do you do? What can you do? Nothing. Nothing. Except. Except. Believe. In the only Savior. Tonight. We're going to see the only hope. The only hope. That we have. Out. Of this desperate. Desperate condition. This cruel cosmos leads to a horrific conclusion. But I want you, student, to think about, to dwell on the reality of this in your small groups and in your conversation today, because this is very important. This is very important. Let me pray.